0: Welcome to TCN Talks. I'm your host, Chris Como, and the goal of these podcasts is 15 to 20 minutes of relevant need to know to help you in your role as a hospice, palliative care, and serious illness leader and team member at all levels of the organization. So our goal to be respectful of your time is concise, relevant, need to know for you and your role. And the bookend of our podcast is always something to make you think deeper about our topic, just as well as life itself. So I'm excited. Our guest today is Andy Baxter, and he's the founder of the Kniff Dixon Foundation. Welcome, Andy.
1: How are you, Chris? It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, great to have you, Andy. So first off, just tell our listeners what do they need to know about you.
1: Well, uh, first of all, let me just say uh, it, it is a privilege to be here. You do a great job with these podcasts. Uh, you've you've got wonderful people on, and it makes me uh, proud to uh, uh, to join the the others that you've you've had as guests. Uh, I'm a retired Wall Street type uh, who lost my uh, wife of 25 years to cancer in 2005, and that sort of transitioned me into a new life. Uh, the, The central part of my life, really, since 2005 has been this foundation which I created, which thrust me right into the world of palliative care, end-of-life care, uh, the hospice world, and uh, and and that's how you and I came to know each other.
0: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we were chatting about that before about um, our own Dr. Janet Bull, who I think, Andy, you know, I've had just a couple of prior podcasts of yours is when we met, uh, when Dr. Bull won the award. We think it was about 2010, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, and we were talking about interesting connections, and you reminded me, and I'd kind of forgotten that Rich Payne was there. Just I'll, I'll let you kind of add on to that a little bit, and I want to say something about Rich real quick.
1: Well, uh, Dr. Payne uh, was the uh, first chairperson of the selection committee for the Hastings Center Knip Dixon Physician Awards that we started giving. Uh, in, I think, 2009. And uh, what made those awards important was really two things. Uh, First of all, there was really nothing that recognized the wonderful contribution that uh, so many physicians uh, had been making to the world of palliative care. Uh, And secondly, What made the award important to the recipients of the award was the caliber uh, and reputation of the members of the selection committee, and Rich was the chair of the selection committee. And if there was one thing that I remember uh, above all else, Rich used to look at audiences when we had presentation events for the awards, and he used to say, it's not really uh, uh, about palliative care. It's about good doctoring. Wow.
0: Well, and the reason why I, I kind of forgotten is because the, the, my rich story that sticks in my mind, um, obviously, I was the CEO of Four Seasons when you and I met and, and Four Seasons founded Teleos. And so we have this amazing organization. We're doing work with all these amazing programs like Four Seasons and others throughout the country. And... Um, We're like, what are we going to name this thing? Well, back up. Rich put together an amazing weekend. It was at the Rich Thomas Executive Center at Duke, and um, it was a weekend about what is it going to look like? What is end-of-life care going to look like in the future? And he was brilliant because he invited for-profit and not-for-profit leaders, mostly CEOs, together in this retreat setting over a weekend and he gave us each moleskins to, um, to think and make some good notes about what we thought about. But he started the weekend, and he wrote the word teleos on the blackboard. And I'm like, that's a fascinating word. And he said, some of you probably don't know, it's a Greek word. And one of the interpretations of the word is the purpose beyond the purpose. And, man, I wrote that name in my moleskin, and we were like, what are we going to name this thing that we're working on? Immediately I knew that's the name Teleos. So in some respects, I credit Rich for naming this organization, which is doing great work. We're both doing great work throughout the country. So thanks for reminding me of Rich, and I know you miss him and miss him as well. Well, Andy, uh, you did say we we're talking before. you could talk hours about the Kniff Dixon Foundation, but I'd love for you to you've told a little bit about the story just in your intro. But just uh, tell our listeners a little bit more about it, because I'm sure um, they probably have heard about it. Some may have haven't heard at all. But what do you think would be relevant for them to know?
1: Well, uh, the 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 birth of the foundation was really in a classic, grateful patient uh, context. Uh I wanted to do something for Dr. Peter Dixon, who was the hematologist-oncologist who took care of Carly uh, in particularly the last year of her life, and 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 most importantly guided uh, us through the last uh, the last stage of her life. Uh, so I created the Kniff Dixon Foundation. Kniff being my wife's maiden name, Dixon being P- Dr. Peter Dixon. Uh, And I wasn't sure what to do with it. But once I started to dig into it a little bit, what I realized was that we had been blessed to have an experience at the end of Carly's life. Uh, She died at home. She was surrounded by her family and friends. Uh, She was certainly pain-free. It was, uh, she was surrounded by professional help. Uh, it It was the way all, all of us really want uh, that experience uh, to be. And what I r- discovered was that uh, there are simply too few of us who are blessed to have that experience or to have our family members have that experience. So the mission of the foundation, I, at that point, I believe that the nursing community, the hospice community, the social work community, Uh, had made great strides and really did understand end-of-life care. And that it looked to me like the group that might be a little bit behind the curve, and remember this is 15 years ago, uh, were the physicians. So the mission of the foundation was uh, to uh, educate and inspire physicians with regard to medical care near the end of life and uh, communication with patient and patient families. And that was, that was the way we got started. And the, the very first thing we did was several uh, continuing medical education CME seminars uh, for physicians. We, and we had the best faculty that uh, any CME uh, had ever had because I was not trying to make money or even break even, I was trying to spend money. <laughs> uh, so we, we had the best faculty uh, and the curricula for those symposiums were terrific. Uh, and then we went from that to the awards, uh, and the awards sort of evolved. Initially, it was going to be one award, uh, uh, and uh, uh, I was persuaded by one of the physicians I was working with that uh, we, needed to, we needed to target the younger physicians. We needed to get them while they're young, as she said. Uh, so that was how we ended up with three early career awards. Uh, and, uh, and then it, it morphed from there into three early career, one senior, and, and one mid-career. Uh, we had a huge project with the American College of Surgeons uh, out in sh- Chicago. We created a, a palliative care guide for surgical residents, uh, which uh, a, a friend of yours, Dr. Red Hoffman, who is a surgeon and, who's, and who focuses on uh, surgical palliative care, told me is uh, one of the very few things that is available to them uh, on surgical palliative care today. Uh, so that makes me very proud. Uh, the, the awards, uh, you know, have evolved and, uh, and more recently our biggest project has been advanced care planning and doing everything we can to, uh, to make it easier for people. To uh, to plan ahead and think about things that we all need to think about.
0: And if I remember correctly, Andy, the name is Planning My Way Advanced Directives Tool. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. That is correct. That is that is the name we use. And and uh, uh, actually, the, uh, the 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 story of how it came to be, uh, because it, 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 it I did not create Planning My Way out of out of whole cloth. Uh, Uh, Dr. Robert Perlman out on the West coast had done a huge project and created uh, a book, uh, that was designed for, uh, uh, one particular audience. Uh, it never really came to fruition. Uh, he gave me a copy of the book. I met him at one of our award ceremonies uh, out there, Dr. Rashmi Sharma, a wonderful young Indian physician, uh, at the university of Washington who received a Kinnip Dixon award. And, uh, Bob Perlman gave me the book, and I looked at it on the airplane on the way back and decided this was not something that could just fade into oblivion. And so uh, I did, it took us a year or two to get going on, on it, and you know he put his team back together. It's had several iterations. It's gone through a whole lot of stuff since then. But uh, that, that has been our most recent focus.
0: Well, well, Andy, one other that's incredible, and it just it one of the things that jumped out at me when I read your website is, um, this is me paraphrasing, but I feel like you said, look, we're not the biggest foundation out there, so we have to punch above our weight class. That's me paraphrasing. You didn't say it exactly that way, um, but it really strikes me that there's something weighty about that comment, and do, do you want to maybe elaborate a little bit more? It just feels like you're picking your shots and trying to make a big difference in the world with them.
1: Well, you, you, you've actually touched on uh, uh, a piece of the Knip Dixon Foundation strategy that was, you know, I, I would like to tell you that it was all uh, by plan and design. But like so many things in my, you know, I was just following my nose. And, uh, but what we ended up doing, uh, acknowledging the reality that nobody had ever heard of the Knip Dixon Foundation. Uh, it is not funded like the Robert Woods Johnson Foundation. Uh, so we we needed to figure out a way to maximize the impact that we could have, and the way we ended up doing it was in everything we've done, we've aligned ourselves with uh, in, uh, an institutional partner or or individuals who uh, who who punched way above our weight. Uh, I, as I mentioned already, with regard to the the Kineptics and Physician Awards it is the selection committee that makes those awards great. Uh, Going back to Rich Payne, I remember one award recipient in Chicago, after the presentation event, he turned to me and he said, you know, Andy, you're a wonderful guy. And I really appreciate the fact that you've done these awards. And the award really is great. But the most powerful moment for me was seeing Rich Payne walk through the door and knowing that he had come out to Chicago for me. Wow. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, when we, when we did the, uh, the CME Symposia, we were aligned with the University of Florida. Uh, you know, er- everything has been with partners one way or another. And that, and that, I think, has enabled us to punch above our weight.
0: Well, and I, I don't know, we shared a little bit about our backgrounds, Andy, but it feels like in some respects, you took what you did in a different part of the world and you're doing it in another part of the world um, and making a big impact with it. And I, I thank you for that. One um, thing I'd, I'd love to get your perspective on, I was sharing with you how some of our podcasts kind of build on each other. And the challenge in doing this work is getting the voice of the patient. What I love about hospice and palliative care, which separates us from a lot of the rest of healthcare, care, is we include the whole family. It makes it much more patient-family-centered, but quite often because the patient is dealing with serious illness – it's hard to get their perspective. You know, Using a business term, um, you know, how could you get a customer focus group of the people we serve? It's difficult because they're dealing with the most challenging time of their lives. So we brought a guy named Keith um, Taylor on, and Keith was strength after stroke, went through a horrible stroke. And what I loved about that podcast is he was speaking from the perspective of, hey, I've been in a serious illness, and this is what I think some other patients would want you to know. I'd like to change that a little bit and say, you've been in – a pretty uh, challenging situation, having gone through with your wife, and I love how you've turned this into purposeful work, but now you've learned so much through your work with the foundation. So you've got a great audience here, hospice and powder care professionals. What would you want to tell them based on your experience?
1: Well, uh, I, I, I remember uh, one, one, of the, one of the first people I met when you know I was trotting around the country. Uh, before I knew how to spell palliative. Uh, and one of the first people I visited with was uh, uh, Dr. Art Kaplan. And, uh, and Art Kaplan looked at me at one point and said, uh, you know, uh, all these hospitals have ethics committees. I know, Andy, I know, because I serve on a lot of these ethics committees. Uh, and most of the issues that come before the ethics committees are not ethics issues. They're communications issues. What these guys need, what these doctors need, is to take a course in communications. Uh, Now, that was Art Kaplan speaking, and and it was 15 years ago. But uh, if there is one thing that I have really learned to uh, believe in and and advocate now, uh, it is communication. And it's communication between the physician and the patient, uh, communication between the physician and the patient family. Uh, I remember uh, uh, Dr. Pauline Chen, a surgeon uh, who's up in Boston. I don't think she practices anymore, but uh, I met her very early on. She wrote a wonderful book. And one of the things she said was that she was taught when she was a resident that there came a certain point in time at the patient's bedside, when the family is there, that the doctor should step outside of the curtain. Mm-hmm. And she realized that that was exactly backwards. That there came a time when the physician needed to step inside the mm-hmm. curtain and be with the family. Uh, and uh, I, I just have become uh, a, a, a great believer that so much of it is about communication. And of course, it's one of the things that made uh, uh, you know 2020 and 2021 with the coronavirus uh, so difficult. Yep. Is that there was so much stress, and and people were not allowed into the emergency rooms and the ICI, ICUs because of the virus, and there were so many patients who were were failing, and they had no family there, uh, and that put enormous pressure. On the emergency room, the you know the the, the physicians who were there, it uh, gave a tremendous advantage to those institutions who did have a palliative care unit and who had some physicians who knew how to deal with uh, with this kind of stress. But at the at the end of the day, so much of it comes down to communication. Woven into that, uh, I, I would say is uh, spirituality, and spirituality is. Uh, has a has a big intersection with culture. Each one of us is different. Uh, each one of us is born different, and and when we reach the last stage of our lives, different things are important to different folks, and that needs to be factored into the communications process between the physician, the physician, the patient and the and the patient family, I believe.
0: Wow. Well, Andy, that is profound. And it's interesting because in some respects, you've built off what that prior prior podcast was it really comes down to communication. And you know one of our deepest needs as a human being is to feel like we've connected and be understood by someone. And you know, it's really sad that in some cases, that is what I think hospice and powder care professionals do well, although I'll be the first to admit we're probably more challenged with that than we have at any other point in time in our, of our history. Multiple reasons, COVID, electronic health records that don't serve us, a lot of tasks, not enough time, too many patients, et cetera, et cetera. But I think you really took us back to the core, truly hearing someone, truly understanding them. Um, and that, that goes so many different places and helps people just feel like they've really been cared for, and not just the patient, right, but the family as well. So I think you, as as no uh, no uh, surprise there that you nailed it. Well, thank you for the work that you do in your foundation. encourage you guys to continue to do your great work and let us know how we can help as you move forward. It's great
1: visiting with you, Chris. Thank you very much for having me.
0: And as always, we leave our listeners with a bookend. And so this quote, the only one that's actually my quote, I actually got it from my mentor, Quint Studer, and I kind of re-engineered it. But you never fully know this side of eternity, the difference that you've made in the life of others. And I think Andy's an inspiration living out that quote. Thanks for listening to TCN Talks.